0: let me introduce our familiar cast of characters. Uh, We're pleased to have back with us as always, our good friend, Kevin Bachman, the CRA doctor. Now I know 99% of you know who he is, but for those who don't, uh, Kevin is indeed recognized as a top tier screening industry consultant, who has become known as an operations focused expert. And he has agreed to take his time today to provide some valuable insights into the foundational issues of driving additional revenue uh, mitigating risk and saving time in today's marketplace. We also have with us Daniel Hartberger, account management specialist with Securitech. And last but certainly not least, we have with us Securitech's own vice president of sales and business development, Chad Lafon. Now, with those introductions made and the boilerplate out of the way, I'll turn it over to Kevin.
1: Dave, Chad, Danielle, hey, thanks for inviting me to speak to this audience today. I'm really, really excited to talk to everyone today for a couple of reasons. First, this is a COVID-free zone. You will not hear me say that word again, but I I say it for a few reasons. I'm definitely not burying my head in the sand, right? I'm I'm saying it because it's time we have to look past what's happened and start to see the world for what it is. Too many in our space, I believe, are are still kind of saying to themselves, oh, when, when this passes or... Oh, when that state opens up or, oh, you know, insert some other piece of wishful thinking. And it's it's not that I'm not a wishful thinker. I'm extremely optimistic about a CRA's ability to succeed in our space. But I'm not all that optimistic about a CRA's ability to succeed if they approach September 2020, like it's September 2019. Here's something I think everyone here can benefit from knowing as, as we get started. Every time I speak, I look pretty closely at the attendee list. And I tailor my, my talk really specifically to that audience. So if you're listening today, know that I've crafted a lot of what I say based on something I think can, can specifically help you. Uh, this audience right now today, it, it's pretty heavy with executives, business owners, and leaders on the operational and financial side. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today is, is really geared toward your world, your lives, your responsibilities. And, and we, we tailor our content, our solutions uh, specific to you guys. So thanks for taking your time to, to be with us. So it's, it, you know, it's, it's really that I wanted to spend a second talking about. The team at Securetech and I, you know, we spend a lot of time preparing these sessions, and this isn't an hour we're, we're gonna spend just talking to you about their products, whether it's court data as a service solutions, Synaptech automation, or you know, the, the enhanced FCRA QA products. We're, we're here to promote the solutions that are gonna help you run your business in ways that go beyond you know, how it just affects them. We're, we're talking about the ideas, the innovations, the strategies that, that are gonna help you make money. A rising tide really does lift all boats. What am, what am I passionate about, right, as as we start to, to talk more deeply about this? I, I'm passionate about running a strong, compliant shop that delights clients, increases compliance, and makes money. And I'm here to tell you, you can do all three things at once. You can do the things we're talking about. I, ironically, someone asked me about a week or so ago, hey, what's the most challenging part of being an advisor? You know, working, being on the outside. It's tough to convince a shop to, to see the world for what it can be. Uh, to make the changes that, that I know can make them more money. Through today, just know I have tremendous optimism for, for each and every one of you to reconfigure your business if it's struggling, to enhance it if it's middling, to propel it if it's succeeding. I want to help and in, in secure tech as well, help each of you become the absolute best versions of yourselves. And it's, it's why I'm happy to be here with you guys today. Before we dive in, just a little more background, as, as Dave said, for maybe someone who hasn't heard me before. I'm a 20-year veteran of our space. I've served as an executive inside a successful CRA, managed an 18-month client integration and business transition as a result of an exit, and now serve as a business advisor to CRAs, we're looking to navigate the world we're in right now, an increasingly competitive landscape in which it's becoming harder and harder to create the competitive advantages or, or distinguish yourselves in a, in a sea of many. I, I like to help shops provide more consistent, compliant, accurate reports and support their sales and uh, service teams to improve revenue retention and, and profitability. Uh, on the other side, I... I get to work with employers to create programs and find the right CRA that fits their needs. It, it gives me a, a really good understanding of, of the end user preferences, which then flows back to the guidance I can give all of you on, on how to best run your business. You know, as, as I always say when, when, I, when I give this introduction, I, I just feel really fortunate to see a 360-degree view of each stakeholder, and it's that perspective that lets me address these topics from a couple different vantage points. I'm also involved in PBSA and have served in different leadership capacities over the last 15 years. Currently, I sit on the Background Screening Credentialing Council, which oversees the accreditation program. I sit on the industry practices and its steering committee, which gives hundreds of background screening companies guidance on operational and compliance matters. Uh, Lastly, I host the Background Check Radio, uh, which you can find on iTunes to serve the screening industry and talk about the best way to run a profitable CRA. All right. So what are we going to tackle today? As, as we look at today's agenda, I, I want to focus on, on what we're tackling, but but as specifically what we're not. I'm not going to read off here. You guys can see that, but I do want to take a moment to talk about why we're talking about these things today. See, our, our approach here is to find the ways to help you. Like I said, there's plenty of webinars in our space from vendors or partners introducing new products or showing you how you can take what they want to sell you and turn it around to sell it to your clients at a higher price. And just know I'm, I'm absolutely not disparaging that there certainly is a time and a place when we need that information. We need that insight. um, So we can effectively provide options for our clients, but there aren't a lot of resources out there demonstrating how you can run your business better. Perhaps it is a good idea to devote a, a ton of time and energy to a, marketing or sales campaign on a new product in the face of a 35% loss of business over the last five months. But my focus instead is, is helping you figure out how to ensure that that 35, 25, 15% drop in revenue doesn't mean a corresponding drop in profit. Because that's what worries me right now. I, I think it's a false sense of security if it, to think a new product or a new technology right now is, is going to reverse your fortunes. It isn't. It'll help. And again, we, we need that we need those in the exposure and education that comes with it. But how you think, how you operate, that's what wins. The alternatives take longer to plant and bear fruit and 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 some of them won't. So as we dive it, why is it too risky to plant? If, If you've listened to my webinars or podcasts on Background Check Radio since March, I I imagine your head is about to explode right now. Kevin, you keep telling me to plan. Now you're saying I shouldn't? (laughs) I guess I don't don't disagree with you. I'll I'll, I'll twist this um, ever so slightly. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm saying don't lock in. Model, tweak, revise. But don't pour any concrete. And, and, and that's why we're doing some of the tactical calculations we're talking about here today. Specifically because we're not pouring the concrete, we do need a much better understanding of the variables, the outcomes, what might work and what might not. If we're in a normal environment, we got a real good sense of what's gonna work and what doesn't, yeah, we can pour some concrete. We can lay that foundation a little bit because that uncertainty is, is, isn't there. But there's a lot of uncertainty right now. So as we look at our possible outcomes, you know, I, I kind of see really four different options, right? We can get it really right, we can get it kind of right, we can get it kind of wrong, or we can get it really wrong. So everything we're talking about here, when we model, tweak, and revise, because we're not pouring that concrete, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the kinds of exercises that lets us pivot when needed, because again, we're, we're going to be wrong, but everything we're doing right here is, is to just be as little wrong as possible. What, what worries me most uh, about some in our space, and I mentioned this a second ago, is, is the amount of us that are simply trying to ride out the store. Now, while I'm not so passionate that every single thing in our in our industry will change, right? Down won't be up, cats won't like dogs, Yankee fans won't like Red Sox fans. I I am passionate that this is the best opportunity you're ever gonna get to reinvent your business. For example, I think a lot of us spend our labor dollars inefficiently and we'll explore more of that later. And that's not intentional or malfeasance. It's just the general outcome of our business decisions and and we're all susceptible to it on on some degree. We're gonna discuss how to get more value for your dollars. We're going to discuss the best way to use your cash, how turnover hurts your business in ways much deeper than having an empty desk at the office does, or in today's environment at the kitchen table. As as you've heard me say, you know, both now and and in the past, victory is in large part about how you think, not just how well you do something. We got to execute for sure, but more on those concepts later and and, and to tie, tie into that, you know, The the shops that think, in my opinion, what if, instead of the shops that think, when this is over, those are the ones that are gonna be in the best position to succeed. Okay, this is a slide I'll read off of because the logical flow is is so important. Different perspectives create alternate options. Alternate options provide alternate solutions. Alternate solutions are gonna create additional sales opportunities and additional sales opportunities are gonna increase your profits. See, it's all about creating more opportunities. The more you have, the more angles you see, the more swings at the plate you get, the higher the probability something good is gonna happen. Think of it like if you play poker. I'd rather be in a position where I need any diamond than than just the jack of diamonds. More More options creates more opportunity for your businesses. And, and here's where we could be exploring new solutions from providers in our space. And we'll talk about that in a little more uh, depth later. Uh, so alternate, the alternate sales solutions, it's, it's not just about creating more leads to sell the same products and the same services at the same prices and at the same cost structure. We've always done it about, done it, done it like it, it's about changing the course of your business by doing things differently, things your competitors aren't doing things your competitors aren't thinking of it's, it's that we're diving into today. For example, how do we carve out $50,000 out of our $5 million business and drop it straight to the bottom line? How do we evaluate whether a 50 cent reduction in our average cost per county is an initiative worth diving into? How do we figure out whether we should employ a three call, five call, or seven call model for employment verifications? And at what price should we charge our clients? You need your calculator because by doing so, you get to make your cash register ring. Okay, here are three models that we'll dive into. The in-house model. And, and bear with me for a moment. You know, This is more of a financial model than an operational model and we can always tweak up or down a little bit some of the prices and numbers on, on the sheet. So while we're doing you know, really technical exercise here, just know you can adjust these figures for, for your shop and it's as much about the concept that I'm explaining as it is the, the actual number on the, on the page. But let, let's say our, our fulfillment model is, I'm gonna do 100% clears inside of my building, and that average price, um, when, when we insert the components that, that drive that, whether it's data that we would buy somewhere else, or, or an integration, or you know you know what I'm saying, you know the, the, the things that'll go into kind of quantifying that cost. Well, let's say we've identified our cost per clears is $1. fifty. But when I get a record, yeah, I'm not gonna mess with that. I'm gonna send that outside of my building. So, uh, a traditional county record researcher who handles hits and clears, well, now we're only using them for hits. That price is going to be different, right? You're not getting that for two or three bucks. That's going to be a different relationship, a different agreement. You're going to pay a lot, lot more for that. Okay. So let's say that comes in around 850 and, and the, the blended number that I use for, for what I consider to be an, um, uh, an average hit rate for a well-diversified shop with strong processes you know we're going to blend it together. It's about 220 per component plus our, our in-house label, labor, labor, and, and in this model you're going to you're going to need to add in-house staff because you need team members to keep that engine running even though you're not doing that that work inside. So you know let's let's say it's a, it's um, you know 50 cents a dollar component to that. Then we think of the partner model, okay? Partner model is uh, yeah I'm not I'm not going to do anything inside of my house. I'm not going to do clears. I'm not going to do hits. I'm going to focus on marketing, sales, compliance. Support education, but my my fulfillment engine is going to be it's going to be a partner model. I'm not going to have rows of team members inside of my building doing criminal record research. So I'm sending it all outside. I, I don't need any additional staff labor like I just like I just talked about that's reviewing thousands of hits a week, a month, um, a day, depending on the size of your shop. Now again, you're still going to need some staff to manage the machine, but it's but it's a lower cost than the in-house model. Uh, SecureText FCRA QA option. It's kind of a good example if it's this model. Now, <clears throat> if I'm if I'm you, or if you're asking yourself, well, Kevin, what, what choice should I make? If that's the cost difference, you, you know, and or or you look at this and you say, well, I'm definitely going to do it this way, or I'm definitely not going to do it that way. Well, hang on, and and we're, we're getting to it because the calculus, the criteria that you're looking at to decide which option is the best for you, might not be as clear cut as it seems. There are, there are additional considerations that, that we need that kind of go beyond just the, the numbers that are in front of us here. And then the third model I think of now it's not an exact breakdown, but it, but it's illustrative of the concept. You know, the idea that you're going to do different things for different clients. Now, again, I'm putting myself in your shoes. I mentioned we create a lot of content specific to the audience. If I'm you guys listening and I'm running a shop. Why I'm thinking about technology. I'm thinking about lawsuits. I'm thinking about compliance and sales and support. The last thing I want is more complexity on the outside of my house. But again, hang on. Because in a few minutes, yeah, I'm going to make a case that leaning into all of that complexity serves your business a lot better than a, than a one-shop, one-size-fits-all model. But to do it right and to do it profitably, We have to confront the biggest obstacle to creating the best outcomes for the client and the most profitable outcomes for you. Most shops can't, don't, or won't use the data at their disposal to make these decisions. Some shops don't have the intellectual curiosity, which is fine. Some shops don't have the systems to pull that data easily, whether it's a proprietary system or a third-party system, and and, and that, that can be okay as well if only one of those two conditions exist, when both of those conditions exist at the same time. We just don't want to look at the data. We don't think of looking at the data. And even if we did, we couldn't figure it out anyways. Well, both of those conditions exist, then everyone's flying blind. And in my opinion, it's an entirely human made problem. And and we as humans often stand in the way of the solution. So what do I recommend? Surrender yourselves to the process. None of us are smarter than the math or or the logical exercise. I'm not smarter than the math. In fact, I I lean in sharply to the idea that I don't know until I know. It's, know, it's, It's very common for me to help two shops with the same problem on the same day, and the solution for one shop is diametrically different than the solution for the other. The data, the individual circumstances, that's what drives the best decisions. So as we think about hit rates here, and, and we'll go through a, a very similar example when we talk about employment education verifications, where, where in those cases, we talk about verifications, your process choices drive your profits, but on the criminal side of the house, it's the hit rates, it's the client mix, it's, it's your, your processes in, in, in those departments. For example, are you getting misdemeanors? Are you reporting traffics? Are you reporting non-convictions? Now, if this was a compliance and lawyer-focused talk, we'd spend a lot more time talking about litigation risk, talking about state-specific laws, talking about the educational role we wanna play, being an expert to our clients, when do we go too far, what are our obligations to, to, to teach them? Um, so now I, I think of those things too as, as, I, as I consider what's on the, on the screen here. But for now, for this audience, I'm thinking of money. Thinking of client retention. I'm thinking about client turnover risk. I'm thinking about complaints. I'm thinking about turnaround time. I'm thinking about margins. I'm thinking about profits, and all of those things affect that and those decisions that you need to make. For example, are you selling a loose trace? Are you selling a tight trace? What are your alias name? What's your alias name guidelines look like inside of a CRA? I had a 15-step alias name guideline. What's yours? If you have five people processing, are they processing five different ways? If you have a 15 step process, you know, if it's junior, do this, if it's Robert or Bob, do that. Do you audit it? How do you test it? What's it look like inside of your team? But, you know, so back to the social traits example, if you have Bachman with one N, and you see that on a trace 10 times, and you see two N's two times, are you running it? Probably not what if you see one end five times and two ends five times? What are you doing now? And if you're doing one or the other, what are your talking points to clients? What are your talking points to your team? How do you funnel those decisions back into the sales process? Do you know how much money you're going to make if your alias name process includes Bachman with two ends, gets ran as an, as an AKA? If you don't run it, what's your price and what's your profit and your cost structure look like. These are all the things that kind of go into determining what's an effective buy price or, or, or a, a sell price. You know, as we look at manufacturing clients are going to be higher hit rate clients So maybe they get my standard price plus 20% financial, maybe it's standard price minus 20% because it's just not a high hit rate environment. And if it's a regulated environment, then maybe, Candidates have been screened out in the past, you're you're selling mostly clears. So uh, a big mistake that a lot of CRAs do is, they'll take a manufacturing client and a financial client and they'll give them the exact same price. Guess what? They get the manufacturing business because other CRAs are probably doing it the way I described here on this page. So your price is better, so you're getting the work. And the financial client, you're not getting, because smart shops recognize what's in front of us right now, and they're pricing it accordingly, so you're missing out on the profitable account, and the account you're getting is less profitable you're doing the work, and depending on the strength of your, your sales engine and the opportunities in front of you, maybe you have to do manufacturing at your standard price. You don't get that price premium, and man, how you're upset and you're mad at yourself because you're not making a heck of a lot of money off of them because you're doing all these, all the work on the hits, and you're not getting a lot of profit. And the the anger you have at yourself now that boils over and 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 you start to resent your client and your client feels that way because they hear that from your team and and you know you see where I'm going with this. I you know, I think and want to talk about all these things because as I'm as optimistic as I am about our space, like I said, I, I don't see many strong economic indicators that leads me to believe if we just write it out we'll be back to where we were in February. It, it's why I believe so strongly in this, that it's up to us. It's up to how we think, how we act, how we choose, how we package, price, communicate, persuade. That's what wins right now. It's not the 2019 client base ordering 9% more components than they did last year. That's the Ron Peel CRA, the set it and forget it model. And, and that can work in a low unemployment environment. That, that's not our world right now. We gotta get in there and fix the patient from the inside. I, I'm here to tell you first-hand, second-hand, and third-hand, you're not gonna win by beating up on your vendors. <laughs> it's funny, I'm, I'm actually not saying this because SecureTech invited me to speak today. They, they didn't know I was gonna say that. I'm, I'm saying it because it's just not gonna move the needle. I'm saying it because I believe it to be true. Yeah, cash certainly matters, but a, a 50% reduction in accounting search 200 times a month isn't, isn't just gonna add up to much. So let's let's go through the exercise. Say you're a $5 million CRA and you're deriving about 60% of your revenue from your criminal products and say most of those criminal searches are county searches. And and by the way, I'm going to pause here for a second because if most of your criminal searches are not county searches, please, I implore you, call me right after this webinar. Not because I want to sell you something, but I, I want to explain how and why county searches are and should be the lifeblood of your business, both from a revenue and a profit standpoint, not statewide searches not multi-jurisdictional national searches, not upgrading five counties to one statewide, county searches, and, and we can do them all. We don't have to pick either or for these, these scenarios. Yeah, so right, we're, we're gonna try and sell them all, but you're, you're, not, you're not building a long-term sustainable business without county searches as the foundation of, of, of your shop. So anyways, let, let's say that, you know, let's say you're buying your counties for on average 275 and, and you're selling it for nine. So, and, and, and like I said, we can tweet these numbers up and down. Say you're buying them at two and a quarter, you're selling them at eight. Say you're buying it at 350 and you're selling it for 10. So, you know, you use your own examples. It's a logic as much as the math that's important here. So, at a $9 sell, that's 333,333 components a year to get the $3 million in revenue. And your, your cost for that is $917,000. If we embark upon a price reduction corporate strategy to lower that from 275 to 250. Well, that gets our 917 cost down to $833,000. That's an increase in profit to $83,000, right to the bottom line. Now, that 83,000 is nice. If you dropped 83,000 into a package and mailed it to me, I would open it. But we have to consider these initiatives in their entirety. For example, say as you expend the time, the energy, the staff resources to get to 250, but you only get to 262. Now your 83,000 is cut in half. We're down to 42. And now say your top sales rep just brought in a nice new client, but that client's running at 30% hit rates. And like we talked about on the last screen, say you priced them like a 15% hit rate client or or you just priced them like you did every other client. You didn't really think about that. So now you, you might need to hire someone to review all the records inside of your building that are coming in from this new client ordering a lot that, that are generating a lot more criminal records than you thought. You know, that that volume of review is spiked inside your ops department. And that other really important client who's been complaining about turnaround time for three months and who you just missed the record for last week, that client's probably gone if you can't fix that problem soon. So for the business owners on this call, I, 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 I know what you're doing. you're, you're not going to take a chance and 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 you're gonna add staff. So that profit's gone, that 42 is gone. It goes that quickly. In the 45 seconds it took me to explain it, we lost all that profit. And then we're gonna look at the books on January 1st and say, why don't we make any money? We did this client, we, we did this cost reduction strategy. Here's the worst part. We didn't lose that profit because anyone did anything wrong. On the contrary, we did it great. Our salesperson just brought in a new, a new whale. Our vendor management team just undertook this initiative to cut 80 grand out of our cost structure. And, and a $5 million shop knows that's just not one phone call to one vendor. Wipe our hands of it. Easy peasy. That's a grind. It's an effort. Some vendors are going to say no. Some vendors are going to give you a higher or lower discount in individual counties. So now we got to do the data analysis to see whether 25 cent cut here and a 75 cent cut over there, multiplied or divided by the volume in those areas. And did the volume go up or did it go down? And can I get it out of my system? And how many tickets do I need to send to my IT people to try and get this out of my system? And then I got to look at the projected growth areas and, and overlaid with the sales pipeline. And I, now I, I got to forecast future savings or profit in those areas. That's a lot I just threw at you right there. And I said it really fast for a reason. I'm trying to illustrate the complexity of what it takes to do it right. And you got to do it all and you got to do it right just to feel comfortable in your projected outcomes. And how much of that are you absolutely going to nail, anyways? So we looked at it from the other side. What if you did something else to generate 83 in profits? Because we just outlined through that exercise how it ain't really going to be 83 anyways, right? You bring in the new client I just described, and you play out the process exactly as I outlined. You did everything well as you possibly could, and you are right back where you started. And that's fool's gold. So vendor cost savings, and that's what I think of as, as, as fool's gold. Not again. This is because I'm here with Tech. They didn't, they didn't know I'm going to talk about this. You know, it, it's part of the solution. It's not all the solution. Primary solutions come from your building, not theirs. I. I wanna increase your rate of profit as much as I wanna increase your gross profit. I can teach you and show you how to grind out 50,000 from a $5 million operation and drop it to the bottom line. That's a one-day project, seriously. We can do that tomorrow afternoon. But I'd rather teach you a faster, easier, and less expensive way to triple that. So the reason why I talk about this, when when, when we think of, of how to run our shop, um, you know, it's really 10% of our time on the cost structure and the remainder on the revenue and pricing structure. Not, not talking about raising prices, but it's, it's the communications, it's the marketing structure, it's how we package, it's how we present, it's how we create. Cash matters for sure. We run out of it, the last person out the door turns out the lights. But avoiding that cash problem comes down to how you package, how you present, how you sell, how you communicate which initiatives you choose to focus on. Your time, your energy can only be in one place at one time. I think of creating differentiated offerings, not, not, new, not just new products for the sake of new products, but new packages, new bundles, new standards. It's not just about who and, and, and how you, you buy your data. Those, those of us that are, that are selling the same services at the same prices as everybody else and seeing the exact same things, we're, we're choosing to compete on a sales and marketing level. And that's good and you can win at that. But if you don't have that strong sales and marketing engine, you're, we're, we're gonna lose. So I always wanna compete on a different playing field than everybody else. So what, what playing field is that you know, for, for this audience? I wanna compete on running the best business possible. Because when I do that, I'm gonna price right, I'm gonna sell right. It's not just about increasing revenue by, by charging more. It's it's the right mix for the right client at the right price and the right cost. When we do it all right, that's when we all win. All right. Let's dive into a set of project or a set of products. Most shops offer, but few shops love. It, it's a necessary evil. Clients complain about verifications, turnaround time, and, and few shops make a lot of money off of it. So let's, let's look at the typical model I use. And again, tweak these numbers up or down. It's about the concept and the exercise as much as the numbers that we're looking at right here. Okay, but let's look at a typical model. It's one I used for 15 years. And it's also the model I seriously urge shops to review and as needed, reconsider. Why? It's the most expensive, least predictable, lowest profit option. And it's it's the least predictable because it's heavily reliant on accurate forecasting, which we know is in very short supply these days. So here, here are some of the basic metrics. Uh, a good target cost is about 450 per verification and labor. And let's say we're selling for 10. dollars And again, somebody else is 350, you're selling for nine. Somebody else is a 550, you're selling for 11. That's generally the cost sell um, margin number that I'm that I'm looking at. Okay. Well, annual total cost of employment and differs depending on geography, but let's say it's around $50,000 you consider salary, benefits, equipment, workspace, et cetera. And I know it's not a pure, allocated, traditional financial um, accounting answer, but you think about what goes into it, and, and that's the number that I tend to use. A talented employees should be able to complete 250 applicants a month at a typical component per Candidate with typical procedures, typical technology, you know, maybe consider 300. Now that's a set of metrics for a good, but not great verifications team. And we look at kind of the breakdown of of what it takes for us to break even what it takes for us to make a couple bucks. But like I said, it's the riskiest to plan for. Why? Turnover, increasing volume decreasing volume. Sometimes you have more talented team members. Sometimes you have less talented team members. Sometimes you have to assign key team members to other key clients because those clients are demanding great work, which means regular clients get regular work. That could increase client dissatisfaction risk. Those clients are maybe at risk of leaving. Again, we have to see all the angles here. And one angle that's really interesting, and I made a note to make sure that we do not forget to talk about this. One angle most don't see, if your verification costs per component are too low, and you run everything inside, to me that's a huge red flag. If your target is 50 and your margin is good and your sell price is good, the cost, the sell, the turnaround time, the production, four different things there, and, and you're throwing it all into a bucket, and you want everything to kind of balance. If one of those is out of balance, that's when you either lose money, lose clients, get complaints, etc. So, focusing on the cost. If you want to be at 450, and you're at 275, I'm gonna celebrate for maybe a month, And I'm gonna worry for a bunch of months after that until that cost kind of rises. Why? Lower staff equals higher turnaround time. You can't complete it fast enough. Clients who see reports, again, verifications are a little different than criminal records. Criminal records, everything everything tends to be shrouded until it's done. We put it behind that veil of secrecy. It's in the courthouse. Really, really big, bad, important criminal records. It's in the courthouse. We're not talking about it until it's done, but verifications, sometimes clients can see, hey, you called Joan. Hey, you called Mary. Hey, you called Mark. You know, they, they, they get that real-time visibility. But well, when our costs are too low and we're running this in our in, inside of our building, guess what? Client can see that they ordered on Monday. You didn't call Mary till Wednesday. And then you called Mary on Wednesday, but you didn't call John again until, until Monday morning. And then when you called Tuesday, you didn't call at 9 a.m. Tuesday. You called at 5.45 p.m. And those are some of consequences of really really low verifications verification costs so I'm going to pop the champagne for a month but it's a long term and, and more more substantive uh, problem and again now let's let's not forget the margin of error here right the, the rate at which you're going to be wrong because you will be wrong it, we just want to be as long as po- wrong wrong as little as possible that, that's why we're doing the exercise. Now, let's look at the partner model. It's the exact opposite. We're not doing anything in-house. Working with one of the third-party verification companies, the background warehouse, Neamo, Reference Pro. That per per component cost is higher, that's for sure. That's going to be the highest um, out-of-pocket expense relative to the other models. There's quality and formatting challenges. There's gaps in client expectations. There's fulfillment procedures that need to be aligned. But I think a lot of shops don't really get much past the higher component cost, and and right there pretty quickly, it makes most shops skeptical and and avoid this model. So while I'm not endorsing a particular provider or necessarily endorsing a particular model, I think bailing on this quickly without exploring it as a solution for some of your work, again, kind of a short-term solution, long-term mistake. Why? is this option better manages risk forecasting challenges I described before gone just a pay-as-you-go model and, and anyone tells me they think they can accurately forecast their business for the next three to six months or has for the last three or six you guys are in the wrong business you should be in Vegas um, you know it's, it's just too challenging an environment right now so what's the door number three if, if you've heard me speak before listen to the podcast know how much i hate binary choices i always want door number threes i always want more options because we really can't live in a one-size-fits-all world we need a number of options for different clients yeah it's harder for us but it's better for our client and ultimately it will make them happier and make us more money so as we look at this door number three i I like it because i don't really want to do all my work in house but I really don't wanna kick everything out to a third party either. I want the best of both worlds. I want my clients who are low margin. I don't care if the success rate's 75% or 95%. I just want it fast and for a dollar less. And and we all have those clients, right? And there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not disparaging them. They hopefully pay their bills just like everybody else. But but I, I want those clients for whom this is more of a check the box exercise. Maybe I want those clients on a different model. Maybe I want them on the third-party model. I want my nuanced, my call to it's done, or call one extra time. Or you know the, the, the client who's using an integration where the, the data you need doesn't, doesn't flow over quite right through the ATS and now you have to do additional work. I, I want those custom clients, I want those custom processes, I want that in-house. I can't handle those clients well. If my forecasting's wrong, and I get too much business to the point where the the work I need to do for the standard clients—remember, those are the clients who don't care about outcomes as much as they care about completions—when they get in the way of the clients for whom outcomes do matter. Again, I can't I can't ignore the standard clients forever, especially as they're the, ones, they're the first ones to call when it's not finished. You know, they're they're the clients that. You know, they're paying the light bill of the business, but they're not paying for the addition to the house. You know, that they're, they're, they might not be part of your expansion plans. It's your, your custom clients, your high profit, your high margin clients. They're the ones you're building your business off of. So there's there's work that we get, you know, that, that, that okay, I'm gonna do this work and this is a good transactional model. And I'm gonna make a couple bucks, but then there's the work we want. And we know those are, those are two different things. So again, I'm putting myself in your shoes And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you mean to tell me I'm going to lose a high profit custom client because of my standard, I don't really care, just finish it fast client? No, I I don't accept that choice. I'm looking for a door number three, and this is it. So inside my building, my operations, it's it's a lot smoother now. Um, I I don't have to worry about who puts in their notice and whether it aligns with my recruiting calendar or or the timeline. I Don't have to worry about a production or a performance gap inside my team that I didn't expect or a team member who used to be really strong and now isn't. I'm, I'm managing the problem by looking for solutions that best serve each client. And some clients need one solution and some clients need the other. So why do we force half of our client base into the solution that doesn't work for them? So what this creates is an optimal operations department. One no one's really taken advantage of. And, and part of the reason, and I understand it, but part of the reason I think shops aren't taking advantage of it is complexity. So you, you mean to, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you guys now, you mean to tell me as a verifications leader, in order to do what you think is maybe a good option, I need to segment and send some of my work to a third party and keep some of my work inside. But that number will fluctuate. And I don't have a technological solution to to dispatch automatically. So maybe I have to do it by hand. And maybe sometimes when I have strong team members, I'm going to keep more. And sometimes when I have weak team members, I keep less. And in February, I'm going to send more than I will in April. And oh my goodness, if your head didn't explode right there, mine just did. Because I get it. But let's step back just a little bit. That's all you have to manage. Yeah, you gotta figure all that out, but, but that's a one to two person job inside of your, your verifications department. And I don't mean it's a full-time job. I just mean it's probably a job a couple of people can handle again, depending on the size of your shop. And when we do the math we just did with the partner versus in-house versus the mixed model, you know, solving the challenge I described and managing it effectively, that's the only barrier to really winning, not only financially or on a by component basis, but on a by applicant basis and a client retention basis. That's the winning solution, not just for you, but for your client. And, and here's, here's the strangest part. We rarely ask our clients what they want. Sure, we ask them what they want. Do you Want an education verification? Do you want an employment verification? But we don't ask them what they want. Do you want me to hang around for three days and try and get salary by sending a signed release when I could otherwise get everything else in 30 minutes and close it? Do you want me to get GPA in a week even though I can confirm the degree earned in 10 minutes through the clearinghouse? And and we're creating processes not necessarily knowing what our clients want. I'm not saying do it 10 different ways for 10 different clients, but maybe have three sets of options doesn't necessarily mean three different products, but just, you know, and it doesn't mean the client who orders once a month gets the same flexibility as the client that orders once an hour. You, you you guys know where the goalposts are on that. But But the idea that we don't always ask those questions, and it's so important that we do, you know, when we ask clients what they want, we not only position ourselves to serve them better, they hear us ask them what they prefer. How awesome is that? So I, I've spent 15, 20 years in this business selling, recommending, and implementing big, beefy criminal background check programs. All names, all counties, federals, multi-jurisdictional, statewides, and civils, when and where appropriate. Now, that comes with its own set of problems, too, for sure. Big, beefy background checks take longer. An eight-county search where seven of came back in the day but the eighth county takes a week guess what that's a background check that took a week and that's hard to combat when the sweet talking salesperson comes in from the competitor questioning why your vendor is so slow and you know and i know that it's because you use an expansive trace and they use a narrow trace because they want to generate three counties to sell it at half the price that you do. And you generate seven counties because you want to find the criminal records and your criminal record rate is three times higher than the competitor will find. But that doesn't matter in the moment. Right? So these are things we just have to figure out. We have to work our way around it. Another thing, because there is a benefit here to you guys, I promise, as I talk through this, you know, big background checks are expensive, but but who buys the cheapest insurance? Who buys the coverage that provides the least amount of protection? And that's what many shops sell because they don't think of it this way or frame it as an insurance solution. You now that's why a lot of us are grinding away $17 screens at 23% margins, wondering why the client left them for $16.50. We didn't give them a compelling reason to stay. They wanted to play the pricing game and, and most of us went along with it. And that's what worries me a lot in August 2020. Again, 3.5% unemployment, we can make it up on volume, can build an empire on that model, but broadly speaking, it, it isn't. And we talk about the benefits. You know, who benefits when we think, operate, price, communicate, persuade differently? Now our client knows and feels that we have their back. That you know, we're finding twenty five percent of criminal records. I think a lot about the gap between criminal records found in criminal and and, and the and the actual criminal records. You know, there's, there's always gonna be a gap between the records that you find and the records that actually exist. And the best shops are the ones where that gap is as small as possible. 3000 plus counties, databases, you know, we listening on this call know that this business is art as it is as much science. But a great shop is the shop that really narrows that gap between actual records and, and, and expected records found. That's when we get to talk about the benefits. That's when we start to think about okay, who wins? How do we communicate it? We win because we're charging more, we're making more profit, our client retention is better. We're not losing clients because we missed records. Um, yeah, we might miss out on the opportunity because someone comes in at half the price, but that might not be a client that we want, anyways. Um, let's let's look and create the competitive advantages, opportunities kind of that work for us. So you know the the examples that that we're discussing today, they're attempts to illustrate the options, the opportunities, but also the costs of really not taking advantage of new innovative ways of thinking. You know, I, I, I always I always like to say, some companies in our industry who are great background checkers, and there's some who are great at making money, but there's few who are great at doing both. And, and that's where I want everyone to be, because I'm a background checker at heart who thinks you can make the most money by doing the most best by your clients. Now. The world doesn't always agree with me and the world isn't, if you agree with what I just said, the world doesn't always agree with you guys either. You know, sometimes you make great money by not doing great work. Sometimes you do great work and it's not recognized really and you don't make great money. Now, I'm, this isn't necessarily about our industry or individual companies. It's, it's just a riff on the world we live in. You can apply that example to any company or any industry in the world. But tying it back to the world we're in, this is the best time I think we'll ever have to reinvent ourselves. If you're rocking and rolling, 2020 has been the best year of your life, well, sorry sorry for taking up the last 45 minutes of your day, but I, I think it hasn't been, and I think solutions like this can help. So, you know, for, for my final thoughts, as, as I, I think back to something I said when we started, I honestly wholeheartedly believe our best days are in front of us. I honestly and wholeheartedly believe a rising tide lifts all boats, and I honestly and wholeheartedly believe for everyone listening here, you can be the best version of yourself. You can build and run the business whether you're an owner, an executive, an apartment leader. I do believe you can be and can achieve whatever you want. But listen, I know there's a lot of despondency out there right now. We're confused. We're walking around in a haze. You know, if you don't see the ways to use some of this stuff we're talking about to your benefit, or, or you just want to talk, like I call me. Not because I want to sell you something. I just sometimes you just need someone to talk to. I, I, and I understand why we don't always want to talk to our competitors. I understand why we don't always want to be nakedly authentic with ourselves or others about the state of the, building, uh, state of the business. But seriously, just call me. The meter isn't running. I'd just like to help. I'm not trying to sell you anything.
0: We'll, we'll talk shop. All right, Dave, let's dive into some of the questions. All right, Kevin, as always, thanks for your insights. Uh, we kept a lot of people on here uh, for almost an hour, but we do have some good questions for those who can stick around. Uh, let's get right to them. I uh, got one that came in and said, um, you'll like this one, Kevin. I feel like we can't get off the hamster wheel of clients beating us up on the price and speed. Any suggestions?
1: You know, I, I, yes. Um, and you know, it probably wasn't five minutes ago. I was talking about how to try and get, get up, getting out of the price and speed game. Um, you know, communication matters, and, and, I, and I don't say that as kind of a, an easy cop-out answer. When I think of communication, I I, I guess I think a lot about persuasion. Um, but I also, you know, I used to be a, a reporter before I became a background checker, um, similar kind of, you know, you're asking questions, you're gathering information, you're telling a story, just not doing it in front of a microphone, right? So that's kind of how I fell into this industry. Um, I. I I can jump off the hamster wheel by starting to ask questions. I um, did a podcast on this, you know, maybe six months or so ago on really how to combat the, the turnaround time questions. Um, but there's an art to doing it in a way that doesn't um, make it sound like you're attacking your clients or, or making it seem like it's their fault and not taking accountability for yourself. So yeah, there's opportunities to, to take a, a to take accountability. The first, I think about the verification. They're ordering verifications, and your labor cost is too low and you can't keep up. Yeah, that's your problem, right? So, so part of it is I can get off the hamster wheel by just doing it better on my end using some of the models and solutions that we've talked about. When I'm with a client, I wanna ask some questions about their process because I wanna know is their engine so well oiled that everybody from the recruiter to the hiring manager to the candidates is, is completing their bucket of work within 10 minutes of when they were assigned it. Or, you know, did the hiring manager not respond to an email for two weeks and did the recruiter not follow up for a week and did the candidate not do their part for two days. And I just described a three and a half week lag there. And, and all of a sudden now it's the background checkers fault that their report is finished in 29 hours instead of 23 hours. Like that's, you know, I, like everybody listening, I think is like, yeah, that's right. It's not on us. You know, six hours isn't isn't the make or break. So, I you know, I want to do it in a, in a persuasive, friendly way that kind of redirects them a little bit toward toward looking inside of their buildings to see where the opportunities are. Um, <clears throat> While again, you know, while saying, listen, we're going to take all the accountability on our, on our own as well. We're going to look at our processes. We're going to see where there's opportunities to improve, et cetera. But what I don't want to do, and I know it's really counterintuitive because there is a fine line between looking like you're blaming a client and, and trying to show them a, a better path forward. Um, we're trying to show them a better path forward by saving them an immense amount of time in their system while still providing them the solutions that they're asking for. Listen, I can give you a 13 hour background check and it's gonna be a background check that has 13 hours of value in it. Maybe I found the record, maybe I didn't, but I'm under the gun and you want me to finish it fast. Or maybe this background check's gonna take 30 hours, but I guarantee you at the end of 30 hours when it's done the way the background checker that you hired and trust thinks it should be done, boy, a lot more protection there, a lot more compliance there. You can really feel good about that. So trust me enough to, again, if it's hundred hours and it should be thirty, that's a problem. But please don't beat me up so much because ultimately I'm trying to do this to protect you, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. Uh, from a pricing standpoint, um, and I realize this is, this is a long answer, but it's a great question because there's a lot of different layers to it. Um, and I can stay a few minutes longer if, if, if you can, Dave, and some of the participants want to um, to get to yeah, answer sure. these questions. But uh, for, from a pricing standpoint, you know the whole adage: you kind of get what you pay for. Again, if it, it, we we have to live within the range. Um, but the $200 background checks that I talked about, the ones that I love selling, there's $200 of value in there, right? A, a $12 background check is $12 of value. I'm not saying you got to spend 200. And if your background check should be $50 and you're pricing it at 110, you know, right, well, that's a problem too. That's a gap. But, you know, if if you're at... 23 dollars and you want to be at 18 you're you're you know if i'm at 23 if i'm selling you a 23 dollar background check and we all agree that that's the right background check for you and somebody else wants the you know a 17 and 18 dollar background check sometimes it's the same background check but background checks like a car there's a 100 different kinds in the parking lot you know if they want to go from 23 to 12 it's a different kind of background check and and i would you know Even at 23 to 17, it could be a different kind. So to me, the comparison is as important. Like, what are you getting? Are we making trade-offs? Do you want those trade-offs? Do you want those trade-offs? And I can do it at 17, and you like me, and I like you. Okay, let's do it at 17. Um, So it's the comparison that kind of helps a lot there. And it it helps me protect my margins, right? You know, there is a part of it that's about me, too. I want to protect my margins. I don't want to go to 17 just because, you know, so I'm going to persuade you to stay at 23 because it's a better search for you. And it's better for me. The world has to work for everybody to win.
0: Sure. I got another one. Uh, you mentioned pricing clients based on expected hit rates. How can you determine that ahead of time? Yeah.
1: So that's, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, hopefully you have a system where you can pull some of this data from. Um, part of it is, and you can get super granular. You can get, you know, uh, SIPC codes and you can sort your client base, you know, by industry. I've done that over the years. You you do it manual. It's a, it's a project or it's an intern project, an admin project. Your receptionist does it when she's not busy when he's not busy. Um, and, and, and you just, you know, you, you just crank that out. Um, and then you look at, okay, what are the hit rates, you know, by industry? Um, so some of it does have to come from, from your data. Um, but once you do it once, and you establish those benchmarks, you're going to have it, you're just going to build off it. Like in my head, I just know what an expected hit rate for oil and gas will be, what an expected hit rate for retail, for fast food, for manufacturing, financial, for transportation. Like I know all of that in my head. I know it because I've done it for 20 years. So it's important from an ops standpoint, because now you get to price and operate accordingly but it's really important from a sales and marketing perspective, because when I'm now communicating to clients a client tells me kind of like the last, last question, uh, Hey, you know, they're going to sell me a $19 background check. Sweet. Great. What do you do? What's, you know, how many candidates you find criminal records on? Oh, like 15, 20%. And if they're in oil and gas and they're finding 15 to 20%, you know, I, I, I think that rate should be, double or triple. I think if you're oil and gas, you should be 30, 45% easy. And I'm not talking about traffic tickets. I think you should, you know, oil and gas company, um, drillers, like at a minimum you should be at 30%. So when I hear a client or a prospect say, Oh, you know, I find criminal records, 15% of the time. And that's great. And they give me a cheap price, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's why the price is so cheap. Um, and it's cheap because you, you put in the work, you laid the foundation, you know the answers to these questions. And you can use that. That to me is far more persuadable and far more impactful when we're trying to get prospects or keep clients from leaving us than, than getting back to the last question and just getting back on that hamster wheel of price. They said 25, I'll do 24.50. No, I wanna do 29 and I'm gonna tell you why it's worth 29. And my expertise is going to, you know, now now I get to, now I win too. So that's kind of how I think
0: of it. All right. What we else? Gonna, we're going to elevate here. Um, what do you think is a good profit margin percent per product or per, per background check package for our industry?
1: So different teams will kind of, or, or different shops will break it out different ways. Some will put, let's say, um, the labor cost, of the verifications team and they'll treat that the same way as they will treat the expense of, of, like the New York OCA. Um, and they'll kind of put that in in the same line. Others will say, no, I kind of have my data costs and then I'm going to separate my, my labor costs. Um, I would, I would create it and, and I tend to think of, um, what's what's the cost of completing the background check and sometimes that cost is inside of my business or excuse me sometimes it's in my building sometimes it isn't so i'll, I'll strip away that ca example i use just because that's such a that just throws off the equation so much but um you know let's let's think of it like okay i i i buy um the west virginia county for three bucks and yeah that's an expense i'm sending i'm writing that check to a vendor that three dollars. The other is my 450 internal verification cost to do the employment verification. Well, that's, that's like an inside thing. I'm paying an employee to do it. I'm not paying them 450 to do that specific verification, but you guys know what I mean. That's just the blended cost um, when I divide their salary by my components. Um, I'm putting all of that together. So I realized I hadn't answered the question yet, but to answer the question, I kind of needed to say, what do I put in, what do I take out of that equation? Um, I want to be at least 60% when, when I do that. So if I'm selling something for 50 bucks, I, I, I want to be you know, probably between 20 and 25 when I think of my product and my, um, my data costs. Um, it's also a lot different depending on the product. So I just gave you kind of a blended example. Um, some products that you know you're going to make probably your biggest margins on are your county criminal searches. Products you're going to make your smallest margins on, let's say your drug screens. You know, if you're buying a drug screen for for twenty one, twenty two dollars, um, you know, it just just a you know a five panel instant you might be selling it at 39 45 and that's great. And you're getting some business from that and that's fine, but just know that others are buying it at 21 and selling it at twenty six fifty. 50. So um, the, the range of margins, you know, if we lined up all of the competitors in our industry and all their prices and just tried kind to of created a blended, okay, what's the, the profit margin? Every shop of course is going to be different, but, but you know, in the aggregate, uh, by product, you know, our lowest margins will kind of be those kinds of products or drug screens, um, physicals, the, the highest margins will probably be the um, um, the, the criminal church. That's another reason why, like like I said before, I love County Criminal, they're, they're the foundation of any strong background check program, both because it's really important to do and it's where
0: you make most of your money. Sure. All right. Well, we have uh, exhausted the hour, but I got one more question for those yeah. who hang on the line. Kevin, if you're good with it, um, I think this one bears... Uh uh, your answer on one of the slides, you had a more calls plus twenty percent, less calls minus twenty percent. Can you explain that a bit more?
1: yeah, that's that's a that's a good question, right? because um, I, I talked through a different example with um, you know pricing the manufacturing client. I'm gonna find more records, so I should probably charge them a higher price to make money. Yes, I'm going to maybe lose some of those deals, but for me, to land where I want to land, I gotta think that way. I'm gonna sell financials lower and I'm gonna generate more business because I've done the math and I, and I know the data. The same thing kind of applies to verifications. Um, but in this case, we can kind of use it as, a, as a, a profit mechanism, but we can also use it as a weapon. So what do I mean? Um, if you do the math, and this is another thing we could have talked about, you know, you can tell how many verifications do I complete on the first call the first day, the second call the second day, how many are automated, et cetera, et cetera. And, and if you've done this, and again, I've done this every year for 20 years, you'll notice that there is a point in which the success rate stabilizes. You know, the ninth call is not going to be the winning call. If you didn't get it by four calls, the likelihood of getting it on the ninth, yeah, I call nine times, maybe I'm going to get it. But it's not like if I get it, it's not like if I make nine calls, my success rate is going to go from 92% to 99%. It's not going to happen. It's going to plateau at 93 and a half. That's it but you're going to have clients who understandably think, Hey, can you just try again? Can you call more blah, blah, blah. And what we want to do is we want to find that sweet spot, the sweet spot between profit, happy clients, compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say that employer we're talking to all the time for our other clients. We don't want to piss them off because we're calling them all the time because one client asks us to do this. So these are some difficult decisions that we have to make when we get the feedback from clients. So one of the things I'll do is when I think of plus 20%, minus 20% is I'll use it to persuade, but I'll also use it as a, as a, as a weapon. Um, hey, I'm happy to call seven extra times for you, but that's extra time and energy and labor on my staff. I can't do it for, for 9.50 anymore. Maybe I need to do it for 12.75. Ah, uh, 12.75, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with what you say. If I don't get it by four or five calls, I'm probably not gonna get it anyways. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to but let's just stay at 950. Let's just keep doing what you're doing. Keep, keep calling four times. Poof. And I just solved a huge problem because another problem that I would have had a couple months later is, yeah, that one person asked me to change this process and maybe they agreed to, to pay $12.75 and yeah, I got a couple extra bucks for it. But you know what? Now, three months from now, the VP of HR just got the web demo and the competitor called who said, why are you guys so slow? And, and now we're off to the races. You know, I got an admin or I got an HR manager who asked me to do this and I did it, but I got a VP of HR was looking at turnaround time hearing from a competitor and, and, and boy, I, you know, I don't want to run myself out of a $100,000 account either. So that's where the art comes in. That's where the persuasion comes in. I would much rather have a client actually who asks me to not make the ninth call. And, and, and by the way, going from 950 to 1275 is a bigger leap than it typically would be. Maybe it'd be 1150, something like that. And the dollars do add up. Um, I would rather keep my process and convince the client why 92% is good enough than get that extra money to get it to
0: 93 and a half because three to six months from now, I'm going to have a really big turnaround time problem. All right. Well, that's our questions. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate it. And everybody who joined us today and stayed on for this extra time, uh, we sincerely appreciate you.
1: Thanks, guys. Looking forward to the next one. Talk to you soon. Have a great day.